0: Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Acts, the 11th chapter, verses 19 through 26. I'll be reading from the King New King James Version, and in the Pew Bibles, if you would like to follow along with me, will be pages 977 and 978. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed, and turned to the Lord. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed from Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was... That for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were fought, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch..
1: Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. A lot of good things are taking place, and we'll talk about even more of those this evening, but uh, we want to mention a couple that are really, really great events. This Friday afternoon, uh, Jordan Burton was baptized into Christ by her father here at the building. Jordan, why don't you stand up? You're back there, aren't you? There you go. We are so thankful. Also, uh, and by the way, just side notes, you know, Terry, uh, you know, he's done a lot in jail ministry and as he's baptizing here, he just observed the fact this is the first time I ever baptized, baptized somebody that wasn't in jail. And so he's, he's spreading out there. He's moving his mission field beyond the jail. And, uh, we rejoiced with, with her and in, in that decision. Also a couple of Thursdays ago during the week, uh, Tiffany Krasan was baptized. Tiffany, will you stand up? And, uh, we're so thankful for her and, uh, her being a child of God and uh, you'll want to be sure and congratulate these ladies and let them know uh, that we are thankful for their commitment to God. As we think about getting involved in each other's lives and getting to know each other better, one of the ways that's just so effective here in the life of our congregation is what we call our outreach groups or outreach teams. It's a six-month commitment, and they meet once a month. And at those gatherings, you you get together and you eat a meal together. And so you get to visit with those same people for each month for six months. And then also cards are passed out that gives you the opportunity to send out letters, notes, or cards to individuals that could use the encouragement. That reorganization of those teams will take place next Sunday. It'll be after this second service, and so if you want to be involved in that, we'd love for you to stay around and enjoy a potluck meal together. The drinks will be provided, and you can bring a couple of your favorite dishes and enjoy already time of fellowship, and then that throughout the next six months. So be looking into that and considering that, and hopefully that'll be something that you'll want to do uh, to help grow relationships with each other and also reach out and encourage each other that could use that encouragement in their life. We want to encourage you to keep in mind that you're almost there. You know, psychologists say that after 21 days, a daily activity becomes a habit. And so many, many of you started reading your Bible every day. And I know many have been reading every day for years. But if you're one of those that's just started reading your Bible every day in January, as we go through the Immersed in Awe booklet, you're almost at 21 days. It won't be long off, and that's going to be a good habit that you'll just want to continue doing uh, throughout this year. There are more of those booklets if you need to pick those up at the Information Center, and we continue to just be encouraged so much by that study. We're enjoying the study this month of Immersed into Discipleship, to think that we want to be people that follow the Lord and His teachings in every aspect of our life, We don't want to be just one of those ABC churches where we measure ourselves and evaluate ourselves based upon what's our attendance, what's our building like, what's our contribution or our cash. And although all those things are important in the proper context, there's so much more to being what God wants us to be than just those simple methods of evaluation. It's whether or not we truly are a disciple of Jesus 24 hours a day in every facet of our life. You know, when we think about discipleship this morning, I want you to think about individuals that have the power to change individuals' lives. If we look at it just from a secular standpoint, it'd be hard to find somebody any better than John Wooden. He passed away this past year at 99 years of age. This coach will be honored and has already been honored in the Hall of Fame, not only as a player, but also as a coach. He won 10 national championships at UCLA, seven of those consecutively, and won 88 straight games from 71 to 74. And yet, even though his success on the floor, it will be hard for anyone to go far beyond it. The reason he is remembered, decades after, is not really because of his success on the floor. High school prospects all across the U.S. wanted to play for this man because they wanted to be national champions. And to their surprise, when they would arrive to practice for the very first day, in their eyes, this old fellow would stand before them. He was a little bit odd. And he would ask them to sit down and take off their shoes and socks. And then he would begin teaching them how to put their sock back on as to not have any wrinkles in their shoe. Because after all, he would say, wrinkles cause blisters. The young freshmen would roll their eyes and think how ridiculous this was as the older players would deal with respectful ways. And then when they thought they'd had enough of this, 30 minutes had passed And he would say, Everybody done? Good. Now the other shoe. And they would start again. An All American center named Bill Walton had already proved himself as a great success on their team in collegiate basketball. The rule was no facial hair. After the season was over, he came back from the break. He stopped in to visit Coach. He had a full beard. When he entered the room to talk to Coach, he said, Coach, I just want you to know before you say anything, I feel like I have the right now to wear this. And Coach's remark was this, and I quote, That's good, Bill. I admire people who have strong beliefs and stick by them. I really do. We're going to miss you this season. That afternoon, Bill came back to practice, clean shave. And for the next 30 to 40 years after he graduated, he he called Coach once a week on the phone to tell him he loved him. You see, this is a man that whenever his wife died after 53 years of marriage in 1985, and he just passed away last year, to honor her he never slept on her side of the bed and on the 21st day of every month he wrote her a thing, he wrote her a letter of his love for her and thanking her for the wife that she had been to him young men came to play for him because they wanted national championships But they always left better men. Who is it in your life that has helped you become a better person? You're a better woman. You're a better man because they were in your life. Maybe you think of a parent or parents. Maybe you think of a grandparent or grandparent's. Maybe you think of that piano teacher that believed in you when no one else believed in your music. Maybe you think about a scout leader. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a high school teacher or a college professor. Maybe it was that person when you first went to work on the job, they took you under the wing and it wasn't just for a day, it was for years. Who is it that when you think right now, that's the person that made a huge difference in my life? Do you realize that nowhere in the Bible do we see praise for solo flights? God intends for us to be family. He intends for us to be in this together. He intends for us to lift each other up higher. Instead of praising solo flights We see things like the great story of Moses that could only get better if it's followed up when you realize that when he dies, there is a man ready to stand just as strong as Moses and just as capable of a leader and his name was Joshua and he worked right along with Moses receiving his training for 40 years. We look at beautiful relationships like Ruth and realize that her life was strengthened because of Naomi. We see Elisha wanting to be a better man for God and leaning heavily as a protege of Elijah. We see Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, when she receives the word that she has a a miraculous pregnancy, she immediately runs and leans on an older cousin, Elizabeth, that also has found out that she has a miraculous pregnancy. Discipleship. Are we going to be a church, a congregation of God's people that just counts numbers? Are we truly going to be a group of people that helps grow stronger individuals? Because you spend a year or a decade or your entire life here, will your time be blessed as a stronger disciple, every step of the way. We are somebody's disciple. And today, we want to look at another one of those six questions that we're going to ask about discipleship. We've looked in the past, who is your Lord? Who are you? And now, today, who is your Barnabas? Your Barnabas. That sounds maybe a little bit strange to some, but yet to others, it makes perfect sense. You see, if I said to you, who is your mentor, perhaps all of us would understand that. Isn't it interesting where that term mentor comes from? Homer wrote the Odyssey, and the Odyssey. Ulysses had a son and he had to leave him in the care of an older gentleman and he left him in the care of this individual that was old and gray-haired and he was so wise. And so as he took care of the son, he taught him a lot of book sense, but he also taught him a lot of common sense and he just taught him about life. And while he spent time with him, he grew into being a much better person. And you remember what his name was? His name was Mentor. And it's from that fictional story that we get this term that we love and appreciate that we need mentors in our life. We need men and women that will help pick us up and hold us up higher than what we've ever been. And yet when we look to a real story, when we look to a man that actually lived, what we need is not necessarily a mentor. We need the same thing but with a better description. We need Barnabas in our life. We need those men and women like this man. And so this morning I invite you into a study to see this tremendous man of God and how he lifted others up. Back up a few pages in the Bible to Acts the 4th chapter and let's see an introduction to this man. In Acts the 4th chapter, we see in verse 36 and 37. And Joseph, that's right. We usually don't call him by that name, but that was his given name, apparently. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated "son of encouragement," a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Who is this man that was the great Barnabas? He was a man that that. His impact and influence upon others even called the apostles to rename him. We're going to stop calling him by his given name, and we're going to start calling him by a name that's translated son of encouragement. He was such an encouragement to others. And here in this very first reference of him in the scriptures, what was he doing? He was very, very generous. Can you imagine seeing someone that has need and thinking, you know, I really don't have money to fulfill that need, but I tell you what I can do. I can sell my property that I own. And then when I sell that property, I'll just take and give it to the apostles and then anyone that has needs within our church family, they can share those proceeds with anyone that has needs. Friends, that kind of generosity is amazing. And what I want you to see this morning is that when we think of being a mentor, when we think of being a Barnabas Perhaps one of the greatest challenges is we can only do it if we're generous. And it's not just that generosity of money that really, in what we're about to compare, it comes a lot easier. But You see, this demands a generosity of our life. Where we take a part of our time and we give it to another to help lift them up. Where we take a part of our heart and we truly invest we take a part of literally who we are to share it with another, to help hold them higher than even ourselves. Friends, that's the kind of generosity that when we look and we say, I wonder why there aren't more Barnabases. I wonder why there, there's not more people being a mentor to other people. It requires some gracious generosity. And this man was so willing to do it, they changed his name to Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Do you remember over in Acts the ninth chapter when Saul was converted? Do you remember Saul? He was the persecutor of Christians. He was one that would rip into homes and into gatherings and he would find Christians and if they would not deny deny the name of the Lord violently, he would take them out. He would throw them into jail and when it came time to vote whether or not they would live or die, he would always cast their vote that they would die. And now in Acts the ninth chapter... Saul has been converted. Now the one who was a persecutor of Christians has become a Christian. And he spends some time in Damascus and then finally he makes his way back around to Jerusalem. Now pause here for a moment to get the full effect of this story. Imagine what I've just told you was taking place in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. What if someone was meeting us in the parking lot each Sunday and a few of our members were beaten down and they were taken to the Wilson County Jail and then, as the trial was made, that person would make their vote and they would be executed? And imagine we'd have assemblies or we'd be at our home and people would rip us out of our homes and we had loved ones that we'd already lost. And then imagine that we got word this man has just come back into Mount Juliet right now. Many of us would hide. You see, when he comes back into Jerusalem, apparently it's not only the disciples, but it's implied here that even the apostles were hiding. Well, How is he ever going to connect and let them know that he's a Christian if they're not going to give him a chance? Let's read a few verses here in Acts 9, 26, 27, 28. Verse 26, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, I want you to pause at these words, and I want you to imagine what it's like. He tried to join the disciples. He tried. He tried. But it just wasn't working. He wanted them to know that he was one of them. He wanted them to know how sorry he was, that he had repented of sins, that he wished he would never cast a stone or thrown anyone in jail. He tried, but they wouldn't listen. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how much he had seen the Lord on the road and how he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly to Damascus at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them. Linger at that phrase. He was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. 26, we have a failure. 28, we have a success. 26, he tried to join with them. Verse 28, he was with them. What was the difference in verse 26 and 28? The only thing that stood between the failure and the success was a man named Barnabas. The son of encouragement was the one that was able to bring them together. And note this, it had to take courage on his part. A mentor is one that's willing to step out and risk something. And what did he risk? He believed in him when nobody else in Jerusalem believed in him. He didn't wait for the apostles' acceptance of him. Well, I tell you what, I, I would go out and befriend him, but but I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna I wanna see what the other ones do first. Who is it in your life that saw your potential even before you saw it? Who is it in your life that saw what you could become when no one else could see it? That's your Barnabas. That's the person that has helped lift you up. Now as a church family, how are we doing? Do we have a church family that's full of lifting others up? Do our young mothers and fathers have older mothers and fathers that believe in them and see their potential and lift them up? Do our younger couples have older couples that see their potential and lift them up? Do our Bible class teachers have someone that they notice that's going to make a great teacher one day, even though that person doesn't even notice it or know it? Do our elders, do our deacons... Do you as a faithful Christian see a young Christian and you see what they're going to become? They don't see it yet, but you see it and you're going to be the one that steps out there and believes in them before they even believe in themselves. Friends, there's a reason why every time you see Barnabas in the Scripture with just little exception, he is a man that is glowing in success and his success is almost always linked to helping someone else. What success do we really have if it's all about us? The fact is, everybody knows we're not successful. We're just the last one to know it. Real success is when it's shared in lifting up others. When we go to the text that was read this morning, did you notice that the story didn't stop in Jerusalem? You see, now what we're going to see in, in this scripture reading that was, has already been capably read is we, we see the fact that Saul is intentionally engaged further in the relationship with Barnabas. Barnabas initiates it. Notice again as we look back at 22, 23, and 24 here of Acts the 11th chapter. Acts the 11th chapter, notice. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as to Antioch. We picked up kind of in the middle of a paragraph there. You know what happened in the earlier part of this paragraph? Word has spread that up in this area of Antioch, there's been a great response to the preaching of Jesus Christ. And so the church down in Jerusalem hears of this and says, we need to send up somebody that can help support them. They can, they can help reach more individuals. And the ones that are young in the faith, they can be strengthened. Who are we going to send? <laughs> That's a given. Send Barnabas. He's the son of encouragement. He's a natural fit. Let him go. And so he goes. And notice the description of his work in him in 23 and 24. He came and had seen the grace of God. See, he'd seen all the conversions. And he was glad. And what he do? No surprise. He encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. What would have been your attitude? You hear this swelling of conversions. The church sends you all by yourself. And you get up there and, wow, roll up your sleeves. This is great. We're finding a lot of people that love the Lord and they're young in the faith and they need to be encouraged to continue in the faith. But there's also so much potential around. All these people have relatives that are out in the community. We're going to have so many more conversions in the future. I've got to roll up my sleeves further. I've got to work longer hours. I've got to make this happen. If the church here is going to be a success, it's on the back of solo Barnabas. No. That's why we have to love Barnabas. He stays there long enough to realize how great the potential is. And he thinks about that man that he knew back in Jerusalem. That young Christian, Saul, could benefit from a work like this. And he takes a long trip. Notice verse 25. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. That last phrase reminds us of the point we mentioned a few weeks ago. Have you noticed how many times just today in our reading we've read the word disciple? Over 260 times it's mentioned in the New Testament and yet the word Christian is only mentioned three times and this is the first time that it's mentioned. And how was it mentioned? It was mentioned as a description. Here were individuals who were disciples of Jesus. They followed the Master and His teaching and they were doing it so well that others that knew of Jesus Christ looked at the disciples and they said, they are Christ-like. We're going to call them Christians. And that's where the name Christian came from. People, disciples, that reminded others of Jesus. But back to this idea of Barnabas. What did he do? His growth and development of Saul, it was invested over time. It wasn't one point in time, it was several points in time. It was finding ways for him to be used and to grow. It was making those opportunities available so that Saul would have that opportunity to grow. Now, I want to show you over just the next scattered verses something that I don't know of any commentary or any scholar that disagrees with the fact that the order of names is very important to show who is in the leadership position in these verses we're about to read. For example, Barnabas is leading this work in Antioch, and he went down, and he asked Saul to help him, and they go back, and Barnabas is still leading this work in Antioch. Now, notice when we read down in verse 30, they're going to take, because a famine has taken place in Judea, and they're going to take relief funds... And they're going to deliver it back to Jerusalem. I'd like for you to notice the order of names in Acts the 11th chapter in verse 30. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of, who's the leader? Barnabas and Saul. As a matter of fact, when we drop down in the 13th chapter, we even see what we usually call the beginning of Paul's missionary journeys. Now keep in mind, Saul's name is being changed to Paul. And so we have the same man here, but his name is Paul. So now we have Barnabas and Paul. But notice, even what we call Paul's first missionary journey, it really was Barnabas' first missionary journey, if you want to name it, after the leader of the journey. Notice when he was called by the Holy Spirit in verse 2 how both of these were called but we see the order of their names and as they ministered, this is the 13th chapter in verse 2 as they ministered to the Lord and fasted the Holy Spirit said now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them now you think well is that just like an honoring a respectful thing? No even when we drop down in the 14th chapter we see Barnabas and Paul in Lystra And when they went into this area that was very much uh, influenced by pagans, we see that they performed a miracle of taking a man who had been crippled from birth and he healed the man. And when this man was healed, immediately everyone in town took note of it and declared they must be gods. And so when they named them gods, do you see there in the 14th chapter, in verse 12, they called Barnabas... Zeus, which, by the way, was the king of their gods. He was the god of their gods. And then they named Paul Hermes. And that was one of the messengers of their god. So see, even individuals that were watching them work during this first missionary journey, they watched them work and they said, that one right there is the leader. He's Barnabas. And that one right there is his helper. But yet, we see something that it appears that he was very comfortable with. When they come to the end of the first missionary journey, there's a big discussion about whether or not Gentiles can be brought into the Christian faith without circumcision. And that may kind of sound odd since we don't have time to develop it, but it comes out of an influence out of the Old Testament. And so they decide in Antioch, this is too important for us not to address it. So we're going to send these men down to Jerusalem and we're going to find an answer from God as to what the correct way to handle this is. And I want you to notice the order of names in the 15th chapter in verse 2. Therefore, when Paul... See how it switched now? When Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them... They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles' elders about this question. What's happened? Barnabas has succeeded in probably one of the greatest modes of success in all of leadership. He has literally taken an individual... And very generously gave him opportunities and resources to lift him up into greater service of God. And he did not stop until he literally propelled him beyond himself. Let's speak frankly for just a moment. I want you to think of both ends of this lesson. If we ask the question... Why do you think we don't have more mentors in the world? I'm talking about people that really make a difference in other people's lives. Do you remember where we began this morning? It takes people that are so generous. And generous with the most precious commodity that they have. Their time. Their life. And then we come to the end of this lesson. Why don't we have more mentors? It takes people so humble that they don't count it success until they've helped grow someone beyond them. And if we're not godly in our thinking, that just doesn't stroke our ego. The world doesn't mind helping people as long as they can keep them below them. And Jesus Christ came to this earth And He showed us a higher way of living. And a part of that higher way of living is that in Christianity, we don't start over every generation and reinvent the wheel. Instead, if we're doing it God's way, we're literally standing the next generation on our shoulders. And they start from shoulder up. And then the next generation stands that generation on their shoulders and they start from shoulder up when we talk about what does a disciple-making church look like, if I understand it correctly, a disciple-making church ought to be a congregation that grows stronger, more mature, more powerful in the work of the Lord for His glory because every generation has a head start that's beyond the previous generation. Who's your Barnabas? Do you realize we all need Somebody. We need somebody that can challenge us, that can show us, that can move us, that can grow us. And the greatest missionary that's ever lived had to give so much thanks and praise to a man named Barnabas. What we learn today? I do, and you watch. I do, and you help. Now, you do, and I help. Then you do, and I watch. And then you and I repeat this with someone else. That's how you make disciples. We don't want anyone in this congregation to be invisible. We don't want anyone in this congregation to walk alone. We were saved to be family. Who's your Barnabas? We're about to sing a song of encouragement. So let's go back and think about that first question just very quickly. Who's your Lord? If you don't have the Lord Jehovah, the Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one who can save us of our sins as the Lord of your life, you're missing out on everything that matters. And we want to encourage you. We want to be your Barnabas this morning. And and we want to be the ones that says, we just want to help you get closer to God. And if you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins as a believer, repent, confess that Jesus is the Son of God and be born into Christ this morning. Maybe you've begun that journey and you've allowed things to to scatter your mind and your focus and your walk so that you're not really a disciple of Jesus right now. Come back to Him. He wants you to. And we want to encourage each other. And we want to help each other. Friends, religion's important, but religion is just one small part of this big picture of discipleship. This morning, we want to help you be a disciple. We want to help you change your life for now and eternity. And if we can help you, that comes as we stand and as we sing.